Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. This is Shirley Halperin, Executive Editor of Music for Variety, and joining me today are two key figures in the audio world. First up is a conversation with John Sykes, President of Entertainment Enterprises for iHeartMedia, a company which owns and operates more than 800 U.S. radio stations and syndicates well-known personalities like Ryan Seacrest and popular morning shows like The Breakfast Club and The Woody Show. The iHeartRadio app, meanwhile, invests in, produces, and houses hundreds of podcasts, including this one, making it a market leader in the highly competitive world of on-demand audio. John Sykes, along with president of national programming Tom Pullman, has made live events his calling card while at iHeart. That should come as no surprise considering his background in television. Sykes helped launch MTV 40 years ago while in his early 20s and went on to lead programming at VH1, where he was hired as president in 1994. Sykes brought in some of the network's most defining franchises, including Behind the Music, Storytellers, and Pop-Up Video. Sykes and his boss, iHeart chairman Bob Pittman, continued to work together through several more career pivots. Pittman had Sykes run Infinity Broadcasting, renamed CBS Radio, in 2002, and brought him along to private equity firm Pilot Group in 2008. Then, in 2011, Sykes arrived at iHeartMedia, formerly Clear Channel, where he's been tasked with developing new business and elevating iHeart's presence across various platforms, including television, digital, and live events. Sykes's reputation in the music industry as an accomplished executive is one part of his story. The other is his commitment to philanthropy, dating back to his VH1 days when he helped launch Save the Music, a charity aimed at funding music programs in school. When there's been a national crisis, you can be sure Sykes will lend a hand, as he did in the wake of 9-11, and more recently in response to the coronavirus pandemic of 2020. Just before the world shut down, John Sykes was named chairman of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and committed the organization to change and diversify under his watch. True to his word, the class of 2021 was revealed and represents a gender parity that so many female artists have lobbied for. The inductees include Tina Turner, Carol King, and the Go-Go's, in addition to Jay-Z, Foo Fighters, and Todd Rundgren. As John Sykes marks his 10th year at iHeart, we thought it was an ideal time to check in and hear about this exciting chapter in audio, how the company is moving on from the pause inflicted by the pandemic, and his views on the Rock Hall's present and future. Also on this episode, a talk with Lisa Warden, Vice President of Rock and Alternative at iHeartMedia and Program Director for Los Angeles' Alt 98.7. Hers is the sort of radio experience that fewer and fewer get to call their own, after helping build LA's KROQ, otherwise known as K-Rock, over a period of nearly 20 years, she left to go across the street and built a new format that has swiftly gained an audience share. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry. 
and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. Welcome back to Strictly Business. Here's John Sykes, asked to reflect on his 10 years at iHeart. To me, it's always been the same job. It's about my love for music and my desire since I was a kid to share with everyone and anyone something I love. When I was a kid, I used to open up my bedroom window when I heard a Who song or a Marvin Gaye song, and I plugged it into an amplifier speaker and I would put it out the window into my neighborhood. There wasn't anyone there, but to me, I wanted to magnify this sound and share with anyone I could. And so that for me was why I always loved radio as a kid. I loved the fact that there was this disc jockey discovering a, a Rolling Stones record and, 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 and I found that. Someone was curating and I wanted to curate. And then as cable television evolved when I was in college, I just fell in love with wanting to launch a video channel only because I was raised with two things as a child, television and rock and roll music. John, you've worked with Bob Pittman, chairman of iHeartMedia, since the birth of MTV, which means 40 years this August. I'm curious, what about him has changed since then and what's remained the same? I think what's changed is he's loosened up. He was so disciplined. We wore ties. We were so young. We all wanted to look old. So Bob said, wear a suit and tie so people will think we, we mean business. But one thing that has never changed is his laser-like focus on building a brand. Bob Pittman could work for MTV. He could work for um, Century 21, Six Flags, AOL, or iHeart. And there's no one better who can have the vision for a brand, build messaging points, and have the discipline to execute, to connect with the consumer. He has that ability. 
Bob could walk into any business. He's got that brain to do that and that focus. And that's why 40 years later, I still love working with him because he has that same excitement, dedication, and discipline. And he's always the hardest working guy at the company. In April, at the All Access Audio Summit, which was once named the Worldwide Radio Summit, Bob Pittman encouraged attendees to no longer think about iHeart's business as radio, but rather audio. What's your take? Well, he's right on the mark because radio is one platform on which audio is delivered. Audio now is ubiquitous. You can only watch one thing at a time, but you can listen to a million things while you're doing other things. So you can run and listen to a record. You can work out and listen to a podcast. You can do your homework and listen. You can't watch and do anything else. You're just locked into watching one thing. But really, audio allows you to do anything and listen. And that, I think, is what is really making audio go to renaissance period. It's really coming through in in an amazing way. We're seeing that with podcasts. We live in such a mobile society And the smartphone has untethered us from being locked into our home or just our cars. And so I think that fast-moving society has opened the door to one of the oldest forms of of communication. It's It's been an incredible renaissance. I can't give you exact numbers. But the podcasting division of our company year to year is up is up 100% revenue. The podcast business in general, it will be a billion dollars in advertising in 2021. It'll be 1.6 billion around the world. And there's 100 million people listen to podcasts every month. That's 37% of the population. And iHeart, we've got 500 shows and 250 million people listening a, a month. So It's amazing. We're right in the right place at the right time for audio, and we're part of this incredible revolution. I wanted to get your view of how competitive is the podcast space today? It's the fastest growing space, probably in all of entertainment, neck and neck with the video streaming business. Uh, Like I said, it's gone from almost nothing last few years to a billion dollars advertising business in America, a billion and a half XUS. iHeart alone has 500 podcast shows out there. And, and we're the number one with 30 million uniques, NPR number two with probably two thirds, and then the also ran. So people are fighting it in the space. You're hearing about these huge acquisitions of podcast companies at, 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 at just insane multiples. To me, it's what cable television was in 1980. It, it's a brand new lane that will connect with consumers for a long time, not because just it's a hot thing. It actually is something that that connects with the consumer and works in their lifestyle. What Warner Amex did back in 1980 with uh, Nickelodeon, MTV, VH1, and and many more networks to come, and when they weren't making a cent in it, but they were build, they were investing in it, and it exploded. Same thing's happening with podcasts. A few years ago, it wasn't a money maker, and now it is, and now it is a huge part of our company. iHeart is very much a digital company now. It's often said, and it's still true today, that a hit song can't really break onto the mainstream like in a really large scale without radio. Can you explain why this is? People see these massive streaming numbers, but really you can't get to that top 40 without radio. I think the reason why radio still dominates is because it's about curation you still need someone, especially now with so much choice, to tell you what to listen to. Streaming is great. The, you know, streamers are like the record store, but you need to know what you're looking for to go to the record store. There's thousands and thousands of songs out there. 
who's going to tell you which ones to listen to? Now, granted, there's apps, but really, discovery is still the most important part of music, and that's why radio still dominates. Someone has to play that new Billie Eilish record. Someone has to play that new Doja Cat record. And then you go to your Spotify or Apple, whatever it might be, but you still need curation. And that's why radio today, ask any record executive that, ask any, any kid that basically, along with their friends and recommendations that we all had growing up, you still go to your trusted source and that's your DJ. You know that a trusted source has picked it, you're gonna listen. And which is still why radio breaks the record. Then it's great. The fact that the record business can make money off the streaming services now, it's become the new record store, wonderful, because everyone benefits. There's a, it's an ecosystem where we are all here today because these artists can get paid for their work. Because once it goes on the radio, the clock is ticking, and you, you have to really make sure that the consumer connects with it. When we, even if we give it a shot, you've got to see what happens. So there are so many ways now that we can get behind artists and new music, and we're proud of that. There used to be this kind of, I guess, a cliche that radio stations didn't listen to anything. They didn't care about artists. They just played the hits. Nothing could be farther from the truth at iHeart. We're all fans. We love it when we get credit for breaking a record. We absolutely love it when a record company head calls and says, you made the difference. And for us, that means building platforms and mechanisms for those artists to use. So they're not just coming to the local program director saying, play the record, play the record, play the record. There's ways to warm it up. And that's what I love. So let's talk a little bit about the iHeart Radio Music Festival. I really associate you, John, and Tom as well, with putting on live events, whether it's the festival in Las Vegas or the iHeart Radio Music Awards. How difficult has it been for you this past year? Literally, the world shut down seven to ten days before we were supposed to go with a show that had a host of Usher. We had Lady Gaga. We had every artist on there. We already had taped uh, a presentation of Billie Eilish. And all of a sudden, the world shut down. We could have said, okay, we're going to take the year off. And we decided, I guess, to go back to the old adage, necessity is the mother of invention. We said necessity is the mother of reinvention. And what we had to do was pivot or shut the business down for a year. And we can't shut a $3.5 billion business down. We're... we're we had no choice. So we sat, Tom Holman, myself, and the folks at Fox sat down and said, okay, the artists have to be somewhere. They're home like we are. Let's do the show from their houses. And uh, it morphed a little bit into the living room concert, but we actually put on the first ever living room concert on Fox on the day of our award show, because we had the two hours earmarked anyway, for a fraction of the cost of an award show, we set a Sunday night non-sports ratings record on network television because America all went to see what these artists' homes looked like. And there was Elton John hosting. He said, I can't play. I don't have a piano, but how about I host? And we're like, okay, Elton John wants to host. And then Billie Eilish came in and Mariah Carey came in and Alicia Keys and Green Day and her and so many other artists came in and performed and Dave Kroll. And it was, it turned out to be just incredible celebration of artists saying, we still have to stay in touch with our fans. And so what we did the rest of the year was a, a record number 40 or 50 of living room concerts. We put our festival on virtually. But you acknowledged uh, in an article that we published that it was a ratings challenge, the virtual events. Maybe there's like an audience fatigue for it. Tell us about being able to have the music awards now a year plus later back 
in person. Virtual shows were a wonderful stopgap for fans who just had to have music and they find it any way they could. And it was a great way also to have a more personal connection with the artists, but people miss live and people miss getting into a room with lots of other fans and making noise and turning the volume up and escaping from home. We saw the many award shows really suffering the ratings by trying to go virtually. And that's why with Fox last year, we decided not to do our award show because we felt we would pivot, try something different. Thank God we probably got four times the rating and reached four times the audience number that we would have had we gone with 40 people in a room. And so I, I, I don't take anything away from people who try to do virtual award shows, give them credit. They, they would try their best to reinvent the platform. But it seems like when people want to escape for those shows, they really want big, they want bravado, they want lights and sex appeal and a connection on a platform where you can escape. And that's what we're going to do this year with our award show. At the end of the day, our core business is still communicating through audio. But all these events we do and all the, the you know, millions, 60 million YouTube streams every month, it all supports the, tur I always call it the turbine, that is really the, the nerve center, which is really these audio brands and the talent that's on the air and the music they play. This is all part of the ecosystem that drives and supports the iHeartRadio brand. You're the current chairman of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which opened its doors in 1995 and has certainly seen its share of controversy, especially when it comes to omissions that some might find nonsensical. You didn't campaign for the job, but you've made change your mandate, as previous Strictly Business guest Lior Cohen noted in a recent interview. And sure enough, this year's inductees are half women. Is that your influence? I've always admired the way that John Landau ran the nominating committee. And I noticed a few years ago, about seven, eight years ago, that our nominating committee was no longer just putting rock and roll artists in there, that we began to diversify. We decided at that point, and I was a member of that committee under the tutelage of John Landau, that we were going to not become the oldies Hall of Fame, that we were going to continue to respect and honor rock and roll, but also remember the very famous words of Barry Gordy, which he put on every Motown record, which was the sound of young America. So to us, we didn't care whether it was going to be, whether it was going to be a rock artist, a pop artist, an alternative artist, a grunge artist, or a hip hop artist. It was the artists that connected with young people. So if you go back to the 25 year rule of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that all of a sudden, a few years ago, it was like, wow, you put a record out in 1990, you're eligible. This year, if you put a record out in 1996, you were eligible to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, what was exploding in the late 80s and early 90s? Rap and hip hop, Run DMC, NWA, Dr. Dre, Biggie Smalls, Puffy. All these artists were exploding and they were permeating pop culture. Artists of the past of Run DMC and, and others love being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because it's a place that opened its doors and welcomed diversity, different kinds of music and different sounds and honored what rock and roll was all about in the first place, which was escapism and connecting with young people who are discovering new genres, new sounds. So the last thing we wanted to do was become our parents. We wanted to basically keep young and stay connected. And that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if it's done the right way, long after I leave, will represent a sound that we don't even know about yet in the next 20 years. And that's how you remain relevant. You evolve with culture. And uh, so this year with Tina Turner, Carol King, 
the Go-Go's, Todd Rundgren, Jay-Z, the Foo Fighters, and special awards going out to Gil Scott Heron, Clarence Avant, the Black Godfather, the Ahmed Erdogan Award, and obviously Randy Rose, the guitar player for Ozzy Osbourne, Billy Preston. How diverse a lineup is that? It's incredible. What will the ceremony look like this year? If all goes right, we're going to have six of the greatest artists in the world in Cleveland. And if all of them can't make it, their music will be represented in a 18,000-seat arena that will be shot for a show that will be aired three weeks later on HBO. And it will be a huge celebration of the most diverse class of inductees in the history of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I'm so waiting for it. And can you imagine those artists or artists paying tribute to those artists on the same stage in one night? From Tina Turner to Carole King to Jay-Z to the Foos, to Todd, to the Go-Go's. I think we're going to have quite a night on October 30th in Cleveland, Ohio. And, uh, and I'm just so happy that I get to be there. It's like one of the greatest dreams of my life to be the chairman of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, I only wish I had the job when I was 18. I would have been more popular in high school. When Lisa Warden was in high school in Southern California in the 1980s, she too was obsessed with music and set her sights on a career in the music industry. She got into radio almost by accident, starting as an intern in the promotion department of a record label. Full-time gigs followed, and Warden got to learn the ins and outs of how songs become hits from the record company end of things. In 1994, she was hired at K-Rock, LA's popular modern rock station, helping to curate the sound of that station that touted itself as world famous. Now owned by Odyssey, the company formerly known as Entercom, when Warden left in 2017 to join the competition as a brand manager at iHeartRadio, the radio world was shook. Sure enough, her arrival strengthened the station's momentum so that Alt 98.7 would eventually overtake KROQ in the ratings. As John Sykes told Strictly Business of her hiring, Our team here, they saw her as a star that was not being utilized uh, due to things that change, and that's the world, and offered her a role to, to be part of a vibrant format that we believe in so much at iHeart, and like we do in all our formats, but we saw alternative is, is not an also-ran, but an important part of our ecosystem. And, and we're lucky that she came over. And in all of our most important meetings, Lisa's in the room. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back with iHeartRadio's Lisa Warden. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself, but we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs 
programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I dot com. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome back to Strictly Business. Here's Lisa Warden. Lisa, welcome to Strictly Business. Your first job in the music industry was as West Coast Director of Alternative Promotion at RCA Records. Can I ask you, what attracted you to promotion? Like, what did you like about it? I love working with the artists, and I got to learn to really like radio. And I never knew that would be my path. But when Arcia hired me to do radio promotion and it was for alternative, I was all about it because that's the music I love. So, and I realized I want to do that promotion job. You got to be a people person. And I was super passionate about the music and I think that's shown through. So it helped me be successful at it. And I did, I like doing it. I, I got to promote music to radio PDs and music directors, but then I got to go to shows and it was, I liked all of that. I liked being in the mix and working with the artists. And then I enjoyed working with radio at the same time. What kind of acts were you working at RCA? This little band called the Gigolo Ants, who I love. They're from Boston area. So sweet. I worked with them. I worked with Lisa Loeb because they had the Reality Bites soundtrack. I worked Dave Matthews Band, his first album. So when did the pivot happen from label to I'm going to work at a radio station? So that happened at the end of 1994. I was working at RCA and doing great and feeling great and was very happy. And through some mutual friends in the business, they started to say, because I knew at the time I'd become close to the people at K-Rock through my job. So it was Kevin Weatherly, Gene Sandbloom, and at the time, Darcy Fulmer was the music director. And Darcy was leaving to go to MTV. And so some people were like, hey, Kevin's brought up your name for the music director job. And I'm like, really? I was like, I've never done radio before. I don't know. And I said, I'm interested, and that's really intriguing, but I've not done radio before, and I don't know how to do radio. And he's I would teach you. And I was like, okay. So... It was one of those weird things where I slept on it and I thought about it and I went, man, this is such a cool opportunity to get to work at this radio station I grew up listening to. I think I need to do this. 
You know, radio is funny in how it can look like a stable career where somebody could spend 20 years at a station. And at the same time, it's completely unpredictable, as we've seen heritage stations who can flip formats in the snap of a finger. You had this experience, I imagine, having worked briefly at WHFS in the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area, which was a highly influential modern rock station in the 1990s that signed off in 2008. I was there when they flipped the format of HFS, so I got to be there for that, which that was crazy. So in early 2005, I was pulled into a meeting one morning and completely blindsided and told, hey, at noon today, we're flipping the switch and we're taking the station Spanish Tropical. And this is how radio does things sometimes. And especially back in those days, all the time. I'm assuming this is, it's a chase for ratings, right? A chase for money. It's always about money at the end of the day. It's like someone very smart told me, your station will never be flipped because of bad ratings. Your station will be flipped because of bad revenue. They saw more dollars to be had. And, and, and granted, the station was ratings challenged for a long time. When you do research and all those behind the scenes things and someone shows you, hey, there's a hole for this format and here's what the money, the revenue opportunity could be. If it's much larger than what you have, they're going to do it. So BCN, I feel like, was the first real big one. You know, you saw 99X in Atlanta and then HFS. And that's when you go, man, there's no sacred cows. But I feel like there is a sacred cow in K-Rock. Yeah, no, for sure. When you were at K-Rock, one of the pivots programming-wise came around the mid-2010s. That was when the station started playing songs by Lord, Daft Punk, Avicii. It sort of veered away from the guitar rock of Red Hot Chili Peppers and Pearl Jam towards, you know, more electronic dance, um, indie records. Can you remember how that came about and what was the thinking behind it? The beauty of K-Rock is that station has always been about being on the pulse of what's popular in alternative music. Being there as long as I was, 95 pretty much to 2017, minus my little hiatus to Washington, D.C., we always tried to best reflect what was going on in pop culture in the alternative rock scene. It just happened that the station did the best ratings wise during those 90s the grunge era is really what kicked it off and then into the early 2000s when Lincoln Park and bands like that became popular and the station's ratings were astronomical at the time and it really cemented that's what people knew it as and it was hard to get that image out of their heads and it's not that we tried to we still played all that music but when things like, like you said, the Killers in the mid-2000s came on the scene and the White Stripes and Franz Ferdinand, and that's, that's when the music started to lean more into the pop sound. It was hard because the listeners were like, but we want that rock, even though that might be popular right now, we love this more. And it was like, we tried to give them all of it. And then in the t- 2010s, it continued to go down that road with the artists that you named. And we were going to play them. That's what that station's always been. Even in the 80s, playing bands like Depeche Mode and The Cure, it's like that station was built on being at the forefront of the music scene. And it just is so hard, though, to be playing such aggressive rock music. And again, the listeners loved it. Station's ratings were so huge. 
But then to be hearing Avicii and things like that, the listeners were like, what is happening? It's just always been about reflecting what the tastes and what was popular. What was that like to try to balance those two things? Because I feel like K-Rock is still battling that. Very much. And I think the difference between what has gone on in the last year on K-Rock and then what we would do before is we really tried to marry all of the sounds. Even with the way the station was programmed and the music was scheduled, it was it tried to be intertwined and woven so all the sounds would fit nicely together. And I think it worked. And it did work. The ratings were still good. A year ago, I think they made a conscious decision to abandon a lot of the older music in favor of going for a younger sound, trying to target a younger demographic. And that's the choice they made to do it that way. We really tried to super serve a large audience and please the people that grew up with the station and also please younger listeners. It was very hard to do, very hard, but we did manage to do it. And other things happen like an alt 98 seven comes along, which ironically, again, that's where I am now, but for a long time I wasn't, and I was battling against alt 98 seven, but that made it harder because you had a newer alternative station come into town who didn't have that heritage that K-Rock has. And then they got a really cool young morning show, The Woody Show. And that was hard because we had Kevin and Bean on who were again, very loved, very popular, but in a way could be repositioned as old when you have this show across the street that's younger. It's all very, it's all very interesting. It's so interesting to be in your position because here you are like probably every morning waking up just fighting tooth and nail against this other station that you eventually joined. But I also was at that point in my life where I was ready for something new and something more. And Kevin, who I worked hand in hand with at K-Rock, I was honest about that with him. I was ready for more. I had been the assistant program director and music director there for a long ass time and I was just like this is it this is my next calling they want me to run the alternative and rock radio department at the you know this is it so I just knew I was like this is what I've wanted to do for so long so what was all 98.7 doing right in terms of its programming they occupied the more alt pop lane musically and again, with K-Rock saddled with that rock heritage, Alt 98.7 did the right thing competitively by saying, okay, great, we're going to be this younger alternative sound. They, and then merely by calling themselves Alt 98.7. And K-Rock is called K-Rock. I co-wrote an article in 2020 called It's the End of the World Famous K-Rock as We Know It. We call it the article because I think everyone knows <laughs> uh, that article very well. Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, was mentioned in that piece, which definitely ruffled a lot of feathers, but also I thought was an accurate timestamp of what was happening. And one of the things that was angering pundits or radio lovers, if there is such a thing, was the notion that a playlist would mirror itself on East and West Coast. As someone who is a brand manager working across different radio stations, what's your take on that? Yeah, no, I actually have the opposite opinion of national playlisting. I think that it's very important for radio to reflect their market. And I'll be the first one to say there is a big difference between Alt 98.7 in LA and K2CL in Denver and WRFF in Philly, which are two of our other big brands. 
So I don't believe in a one size fits all mentality of programming at all. And iHeart doesn't as a whole. I know that there was a comment of hits are the hits everywhere. And by the way, the, the really big hits, yeah, sure, they are. The really big ones, they are hits everywhere. But there are certainly nuances to each market and how the station should sound, meaning the music, the imaging, the docs, all the important pieces that make a great product to listen to, and the music being a big part of that. We have brands like our station in Houston. It leans really rock, and it's huge. It's number one across all demo. And, and a lot of what I play in LA wouldn't work there. So yeah, I'm not really convinced that's the right approach. Hmm. So at Alt 98.7, how do you balance the TikTok driven hits, which sometimes cross over into like emo pop punk territory? I've read a lot about the notion that a song that blew up on TikTok is something fleeting, doesn't have the staying power. But is that the case from where you sit? I think we are still figuring out TikTok. And there's a few takeaways. I think that there are songs that will be big on TikTok that could be hits on the radio. I'm not convinced they're necessarily in my format. I think they might be better suited for the CHR and pop format. I also think songs blow up on TikTok from 10 to 12 seconds doesn't necessarily mean they want to hear three minutes of that song on the radio. I'm not convinced the listeners who listen to radio care about what's going on on TikTok. So there's so much to consider, and that's where Entercom is doubling down or Odyssey or whatever. They're doubling down on this TikTok sound, and that's cool. In a way, I go, thanks for doing that, because I can learn and <laughs> watch you guys do that experiment and see how it goes. There's been this long-standing rule, I guess, in radio, which discourages playing two female artists back-to-back. Um, at Variety, we've written a lot about this especially in the country format and how resistant it was to playing female artists at all and you know thinking about k-rock specifically uh kay hanley from letters to cleo wrote an amazing article for us about what it was like to be in letters to cleo in the mid 90s when alanis morissette's jagged little pill came out at the same time and the reaction by radio was well we can only have one female rock song programmed at a time has this gone away or are we still sort of battling this inequality it's so funny you bring this up so during covid they were filming an Alanis Morissette documentary and I was asked to be part of it because K-Rock was so instrumental with that album so I gladly wanted to be part of the doc I went in and I filmed with them and they asked, they said, is it true that back then you, you could only limit how many females you would play on the air? And I remember there was a rule when scheduling K-Rock, I was not allowed to play females back to back. It's kind of how I was trained to schedule music. And that's how I was brought up in radio. And it's not like I thought to myself, what's up with that? It was more like, oh, okay, if that's what you're teaching me, then I'm going to do what the rules say I should do. It now seems silly to me. And when I left and crossed the street and came over here, and now here I am, I'm the one in control. I was like, that role is gone. And I'm proud to say we play so many female artists on all 98.7 and on a lot of our alternative stations, but especially here. And we play three or four females in a row all the time. It just sounds good. And I don't think about it. And just, it is what it is. There hasn't been a listener revolt? God, no. 
if anything, I think that we've gotten compliments. There's so many terrific female voices in the alternative format currently from Billie Eilish to Phoebe Bridgers to Ash. Um, each of these artists have actually appeared on a program that you're hosting called She is the Voice. Can you tell us more about it? So She is the Voice airs every Friday night at 8 p.m. on all 98.7. So the mission of the show is to showcase female talent. And it's everything from the female artists that paved the way for alternative music. So Karen O from the Yaya Yaz, to Florence and the Machine, to Gwen Stefani, to PJ Harvey, Tori Amos, Alanis, but then also playing the artists of now. So the Claros and the Shades and the Billie Eilishes and those. But then I also make sure I reserve at least two to three slots every week to play someone unsigned or on a really small independent label, local artists and give those artists a place to be heard. And those are the ones that really freak out. Billie Eilish doesn't need more airplay. She's just fine. Some of these artists that are local and unsigned, it's like they're hearing their song on the radio. It's just super cute when, you know, they're freaking out. And that's what I love. I love that. So I wanted to give them a place. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, At these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.